Welcome to No Time to Waste, the podcast that inspires and motivates us to maximize our moments. I'm your host, Allison Haddon. I'm battling terminal cancer, but I'm focused on living my best life as my best self every day. Join me as I chat with resilient adventurers, seekers, trailblazers, and exceptionally good humans as we explore what it means to live fully because there's no time to waste for all of us. In 2016, Amy Elisa Jackson lost her husband, tragically. At just 34 years old, while on a guy's trip to Sundance in Park City, his heart stopped suddenly, and that was it for him. Now, she's a widow, a proud widow, as you'll hear her say. We talked about how she trudged through the muck and the messiness of grief, and the responsibility she now feels as the guardian of Jeremiah's personal legacy. It's inspiring. Then, on a lighter note, if you've ever encountered someone who recently experienced a tragic or terrible life event and you find yourself going, I don't even know what to say, Amy, Elisa, and I are here to help. We'll share our strong personal opinions on what's not helpful in those situations from the perspective of the griever, along with what might be a better response. I'm hoping people find it helpful. So here's Amy, Elisa Jackson for No Time to Waste. Allison, thanks so much for even having me. I'm so just thankful to have you in my life. I'm glad that we were, uh, that we worked side by side next to one another and exchanged side eyes many a time and rolled our eyes and Mm -hmm. definitely pantomimed some uh, good curse words Mm -hmm. (laughs) as Mm -hmm. we worked together. Um, In just what happened to me, what did I go through? I became a widow at the age of 32. Um, I was in the prime of my life. I was so excited. I met the love of my life, re-met him after we went to Stanford University together. We re-met each other. At that time, we were just like madly in love, had gotten married two years before. Um, it was exciting. We were trying to have kids. Everything was was amazing. We had a great New Year's Eve. And then he went to Sundance Film Festival with his best friends, um, a group of guys and girls who love to sort of camp out and watch films at Sundance and the whole nine. They did it every year. And uh, he boarded a shuttle bus to get back um, to their um, rental house and uh, grabbed his chest and was unable to breathe and um, died shortly thereafter. Um, It was really traumatizing for his two best friends who were sitting with him. Um, But ultimately, his heart gave out unexpectedly. He had no warning signs. He was in good health. But yes, he passed away with his friends around him um, very, very quickly. We had not prepared for anything because who prepares for their husband who's 34 to pass away? who says, oh yeah, we got married, we went on our honeymoon, we're gonna start to you know, have kids, oh, but let's work on our will, or you know, we didn't have any of that. It came as a real shock. Um, I was at home uh, in our home in Oakland. I was asleep, I had talked to him earlier in the day. A police officer knocked on my door, and this is the top of 2016, and so police officers knocking on a black woman's door in Oakland is very scary. I was asleep. I had taken NyQuil. I didn't answer. And so they were worried. So they came into the apartment and came upstairs and they were in my bedroom and woke me up with a flashlight. And luckily it was two female police officers. They were very kind, but it was very jarring. I mean, this is like, 
height of Black Lives Matter. I mean, there were riots mm-hmm. all the time. It was just crazy. And to wake up to police officers in your apartment to tell you the worst news of your life was very jarring. But I must say these officers did it with absolute care and they know they needed to make this notification. And so they told me, and I remember I was in my one piece onesie jammies. Mm. I had my bonnet on because yes, I'm a black girl and we wear bonnets to bed. Mm -hmm. And she sat me down and she says, are you Jeremiah Jackson's wife? And I said, yes, I'm Amy Elisa Jackson. And I thought the worst. I thought the police, I thought the police had killed him. I thought something, I was like, wait, what's happening? And she told me that he had passed away in Park City. I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. And she tells me this and I'm still in this NyQuil fog and I'm just like, wait, what? And they're like, Jeremiah Jackson, date of birth, you know, 1227. Like she's running these stats down because she got the notification from the police in Park City. I'm sitting there and I'm still stunned. And then some tears start to come, but I'm not wailing. I'm just like tears start to come. And the first thing I thought was like, I need someone here. So I called Jeremiah's sister, Jordana. And I said, I need you to come over now. And this is the middle of the night. This is literally the middle of the night. I had to look her in the eye and tell her that her eldest brother, her big brother, her rock um, had died. And it's just it kicked off a whirlwind that um, no one should ever have to go through. But I immediately felt a sense of responsibility, not to myself, but to his family. You see, Jeremiah is the eldest of four. He is the Phoenix who rose from very, very humble beginnings he was the one that made it out of Paso Robles, that went to Stanford University for undergrad and then went to Harvard Business School. Um, he was the gem of his family, of his friend circle, of everything. And I had a tremendous sense of responsibility to um, take care of that legacy. And so that started my journey as wife, widow, legacy holder. Thank you for sharing that. I can't imagine... I can't imagine going through that. I didn't know the way in which you found out. And dear God, that would have been jarring in itself to open your eyes in your bed and have a police officer with a with a flashlight shine in your eyes like NyQuil or not. I would have been like, where am I? What is happening right now? And then to get that news, which I can I can't imagine, but I, I would assume I'd be detached from it. And thank you for going back to that moment for me and for the people listening um, because I know that revisiting traumatic events essentially can, if you haven't done a lot of work on it, just re-trigger and rip open the scab that had, that had grown over the wound. So thank you. Like, I mean that from my heart. Thank you for being willing to do that. And I'm sorry. Of course. It's, um, it's a, But it's a weird thing because, and maybe other people feel this way, I don't know. I, um, and we'll get into this, but I take a lot of pride. I took a lot of pride and I still take a lot of pride in being a wife. And I Mm -hmm. take a tremendous amount of pride in being a widow. 
And I emphasize tremendous amount of pride in being a widow because my husband chose me. He said yes to me. There were all these women who, you know, who saw all <laughs> the glory, who saw the smile, who loved his laugh, who, you know, wanted to be Mrs. Jeremiah Jackson, but there is only one. And I am so proud to have found my life partner and my soulmate and to have even have had him for the short period of time that I did, like forever changed my life. And to get to be his widow is um, something I take a lot, a lot of pride in because getting to hold up someone's legacy as amazing as he is and was, I still say is because for me, mm -hmm. it's present. Yeah. But getting a chance to carry a legacy of someone who is remarkable, who is honest and warm and loving and friendly and caring, like that is tremendous. A lot of people just don't get that opportunity or they lose a loved one and they're grieving, but in the back of their minds, they know they were on the outs with that person or they were fighting or, or whatever. Like I have a peace in my heart knowing that like, did I have sex with that man the night before he left? I sure damn did. And did I wake up and make biscuits? And did I make <laughs> bacon before he left? Damn Skippy. I did all of that. Mm -hmm. I love that man from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. Mm. And I continue to love and honor him. I continue to spend time with his family and his friends and invest in the things that he loved and um, share those memories. And I hold them so dear, like any picture, any, mm. I still have his wallet fully assembled, <laughs> same exact assembly, same amount of money in there, same credit cards. Everything is exactly the same as when I received it back from the coroner. I still have all of his um, button down shirts because if we ever had kids, I wanted to make sure that his kids knew what he smelled like. I keep his bedside pillow in a vacuum sealed box so that they can smell what their father smelled like. I made sure all of those little things, I still check his email. I make sure I still run background checks just to make sure nobody's taking out some fraudulent craziness on it. Yeah. Those things give me a lot of pride, a lot of pride to make sure that his mom is okay and his dad's okay. And his brother who just got engaged is like gonna have things from Jeremiah at his wedding because I yeah. preserve those things. That yeah. is tremendous. The best job I'll ever have. That um, so now we're both crying. Um, taking that, taking that as a as a responsibility, and taking that responsibility of holding his legacy and keeping his spirit alive, especially when it comes to his family members and the potential for future kids to to know their father. Like to me, I just go, that's some courage right there. Like to be vulnerable enough, right to have done whatever work you've done in therapy to be able to face and confront that tragedy over and over and over again in order to keep his legacy alive the easier route is for someone to just say we're just going to shut that box and we're going to put it on a shelf we've we've grieved 
right? But I'm I'm done with that now because it makes me feel sad and it makes me angry and it reminds me of how little we control in this world. So I'm just going to keep that person who's passed their memory. I'm going to keep it tucked in that box and I'll open it up once a year when it's their anniversary. And I know that we're in the month uh, of January, which we're hitting the the five year anniversary, right? Um, but I just want to give you the respect of having the courage to be vulnerable and step up, which is to the hardest thing that I can imagine anyone can do, which is to confront a tragic loss of the love of their life, right? You know, some people can do the box thing and stuff it all away. But also you do what feels right to you. You know, some widows or widowers have to like have physical touch. And so they just need to get out there and have sex and start dating and doing whatever to get over the heartache. I traveled a ton. Like I, mm. I quit my job. I thought I could like stay working. That wasn't going to happen. Cause I was just mm. like, this shit don't even mean nothing. <laughs> like I can't even. Right. Yep. And my full-time job became traveling to international places with whomever would take me and go and then um legacy building I mean I that's just what I did and sure my parents really worried sure people were really worried about like oh Amy you should move on you're young I still hear that you're so young you could still have a family you um you never know you can get married again life goes on so I did those things, but at the same time, I was preserving so much. Um, mm. And so, you know, Jeremiah passed in January and we were already undergoing fertility treatments, like the beginnings of starting our family. And so yeah. I agreed to the autopsy and of course, talking to his parents and it, like we all agreed to things together because I want to make it very clear that my husband just isn't my husband, but he is. Helen and Michael's son. He is the brother of Elisha, Jordana, mm -hmm. and Isaiah. And that means a lot to me. Like, mm -hmm. they're, he's theirs. Mm -hmm. So we agreed on things. And so when we did the autopsy, though, I asked the coroner if he could preserve Jeremiah. And when I asked about preservation, I asked about them preserving his sperm because we had already been going through some fertility treatments and I wanted to have our children. Mm -hmm. I went through a lot of medical hoops within the first 12 hours. The months after Jeremiah's passing, I started fertility treatment and was mm -hmm. fighting that battle to try to have our children um, mm -hmm. because I had infertility issues. And so, mm -hmm. you know, yes, you are carrying this legacy, but I couldn't have my grief in a box, right? Like going back right. to your original, I couldn't put it in a box because here I am trying and having to discuss this on a regular basis to mm -hmm. doctors. And then I had a therapist who specialized in grief and infertility. But, you know, you just start putting one foot in front of the other. And maybe that's just my type A nature. And I never wanted to put the grief away. I wasn't ready to let it go. I still spoke in the present tense. I still mm -hmm. wore my ring. I wore my ring up until 2019, top of 2019. Mm -hmm. I wore my wedding ring. Um, because I'm still proud. I'm still proud to be a wife. People would ask me and I'd be like, yeah, I'm married. Um, mm -hmm. so it's fluid, you know, what one person puts in a box in six months because they need to move on another person. It takes years and mm -hmm. it's always something they hearken back to, or it's always a part of who they are. Like to me, 
being a widow is just a part of my identity now. It's no different than me saying, hi, my name is Amy Elisa Jackson and I'm from Los Angeles, California and I'm a widow. It's just ingrained. It'll never go anywhere. When, uh, so I, you talk about being a widow and I think about um, Nora McInerney's group that she started, the HYWC, which stands for the <laughs> Hot, Hot Young, Young Widows, Widows Club. Club. <laughs> yeah. Did you participate in that or have you like leveraged any of those resources? It's so funny because someone had sent me the Hot Young Widows Club, maybe like four or five months after Jeremiah passed. Yeah. And it was like, WTF? Like, who? what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Too soon, man. Too soon, man. Um, so I just wasn't ready for it. I had seen Nora's amazing TED Talk and just really connected tremendously to it. I connected to her energy. I connected to her ability to have one foot in pain and one foot in promise and her mm-hmm. ability to have one foot in... Um, her pre her her deceased husband and one in her current relationship like I just related to that um but no I didn't participate early on like I just didn't think anybody could understand because here I am a you know 30 something you know smart lost a spouse not through some elongated process and then other times I would talk to people and I'm a black woman in Oakland who says her husband died. And I can't tell you the number of times people thought, especially at the time that my husband had been killed by the police. It's just, I didn't, I felt like I didn't fit in any of those boxes. So it was just easier for me to thug it out as me, as what I, just being solo. Um, but I did, we get into uh, the Hot Young Widows Club <laughs> later on. Um, I got in, I want to say at the end of 2018. I really relate to the stories that women have about their love and about how it ebbs and flows and how the smallest thing can remind you of someone, but also the biggest moments just feel like that much grayer because you can't share them. So yeah, that those pieces of Nora's group and Hot Young Widows Club and the fact that her sweatshirt says still kicking and I wear that to like the grocery store. Yeah. All the time. I don't know if it like triggers those around me. So now I'm finding that like I, I only wear it when I'm like off on a day by myself or like Cause I'm so aware. I'm so aware right now. I'm so sensitive to what other people that I love are thinking, you know, I know that feeling and you're going to traverse that terrain yourself mm. and you are navigating it yourself. I could just never do anything but be me. Yeah. I have a lot of, I'm still, I'm still processing as they would say. Oh, sister, I feel you. Processing. Um, but I love, as I said, I just hear, I hear your spirit and I hear your authenticity and your willingness not to compromise who you are. And again, the courage to step up and, and keep his spirit alive and that legacy alive by facing that trauma every day right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's important to you. You take the responsibility of his family 
you know, with the highest amount of kind of honor and respect and, and also because it's who you are, right? You're not going to like carve out the most important person in your life or stories no. about that person or references of that person because of a period of time. You and I were just talking about this, you know, it's, it's, it's five years this month for you. And, you know, there are people, right, that I'm sure you've heard that have basically been like, okay, like it's been five years, like let's, uh, let's, let's pick it up and, you know, let's move on. Let's, let's keep going. Right. And, and Nora ha- said, you know, do we stop celebrating birthdays when they're five? Does like when our yep. kid turns five, do we just go, okay, that's it. Thanks. Enough with the birthday presents and the birthday parties. Like he's five, you know? Yeah. My, no. No, no, we still celebrate. We yeah. still celebrate. I get um, me and his friends get together every January 23rd. Those things are important to me. And it's not like five years, you know, five years and time in grief feels like an accordion. Hmm. I know it's been five years. I know the kids that have been born. I know the unfortunate president that we have in this span of time. I know all of those things that have happened, but it also feels like just yesterday. Yeah that he was here. And so I just acknowledge the fact that time feels like this accordion that just moves in and out. Um, But he's never far from me or from us. I think, you know, have I gone on dates? Yes, I have gone Mm -hmm. on a date. I've, I've gone on a couple of dates. I'm not really looking to get married. I mean, I think if it happens, okay, but it's just different. I think I would marry going forward, maybe for convenience slash companionship. Mm. Um, But I know who the love of my life is. And I know that very clearly. And so for me, I don't feel like I'm missing out or I'm wasting time. Yeah. Just living the life that I have because I had that. I have what so many people never have. So I don't need to be greedy and be like, oh, I need to find somebody else. I just don't really feel that way. I feel so fulfilled with the marriage I have. Yeah. I feel very fulfilled. It's very weird for me to listen to you talk about all of this because kind of similar to when I talked to Nora, it's like, I am Jeremiah. I am Nora's Aaron. I'm Mm going to be the person that's going to leave and I'm going to leave my love behind. Right. And, um, as you just said, everyone kind of handles grief differently. And um, some of the things you talk about, the the ritual of celebrating Jeremiah every year, I want to be like, damn right, you guys better like do something cool. Um, Absolutely. It doesn't have to be at a bar, but like do something cool when. Yeah, it doesn't have to be at a bar. Yeah, for the anniversary <laughs> of mine and like celebrate me and don't you dare give the people in my life any crap if it's been five years. Like, we celebrate the birthdays so celebrate the deaths too because it's not about death it's about the life right um and uh in the little moments you're gonna have people who hit a hiking trail who hit arches who hit mount tam Mm -hmm. who kayak who see an amazing golden retriever Mm -hmm. and they're gonna say oh Haddon is with us (laughs) yeah it's those little moments that are gonna happen it's like the anniversaries are big but those little moments, you will have people and more people than you know, Haddon, 
who will find you in the little moments as well as the big anniversaries. And that's really the blessing. I hope so. Cause like, I'm going to be a dick and like, I'm going to show up everywhere. Yeah, girl, you better haunt these hoes. Haunt <laughs> I, these will. Hoes. I will. I will. A hundred percent. Yeah. And just be super annoying um, at times and have someone be like, Oh my God, it's Haddon. Like I, we got it's it. Haddon. Like we got it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, obviously you feel like Jeremiah is still with you. You talk about him in the present tense. I hope people talk about me in the present tense for like a really long time. Um, and what do you think? I like to ask everybody, you know, um, what do you think happens? Like what, like, where do you think, where do you think he is right now? What do you think happens after we leave this earth? Um, you know, I'm still repairing my relationship with God and with Jesus. I'm a Christian mm-hmm. and I still will always believe in God and Jesus, but me and Jesus, we got some, some talking to do. Yeah. Um, I'm still just really like really hurt <laughs> um, by the loss of my husband and, and three miscarriages after that. And yeah. so uh, it's hard for me, but I really, I know in my soul and my core that Jeremiah is in heaven and I know that he is there. I know that he is there with my aunt Julie and his uncles and his aunties and my grandparents. I know that there's no question. And no matter how far I steer from God, I know he's still right here. Mm -hmm. I know that. And so I think that that's what happens. I think he's up there playing basketball, hoping that I move on with my life. I'm sure he's like, Amy, get it together. Um, There's been a lot of times where I just wanted to go and join him um, and not be here anymore. And thankfully my family and thankfully medicine has really helped in that journey. But I think he's up there and he's just Hmm. telling me to keep going. Do you feel like there is a hierarchy in heaven where he gets to play basketball with Kobe? Or do you think that there is a celebrity? There's still there a big... sort of a hierarchy where it's like, no, of course, Jeremiah does not get to like play one-on-one with Kobe. Well, I think there's probably a VIP section of heaven. I really do. Um, there's probably like a velvet rope. I would like to get in. But that. I want to be in VIP. Um, yeah, if only for the cushy seats. You know, I always wanted to be in the seat area. I don't want to be standing at the club. So I think he could be playing with Kobe. But I think, honestly, if Kobe just gave him a little black man head nod and said, what's up, and kept it moving, like, that would be enough. He's really probably just really happy watching all of us and how his siblings and his parents are doing and how, you know, his friends are flourishing. I think he's just looking down and is just so pleased. So pleased. That's such a comforting, I would think that's such a comforting thought. I've been trying to fixate or focus on when I think about death and dying, just any vision or anything that brings me comfort and your description of what you think Jeremiah is experiencing right now, like that brings me comfort to have him looking down or to have him pass somewhere in heaven and be like, oh my God, that's Kobe. I'm finally passing Kobe up here. And like all Kobe gives him is just like the nod and Jeremiah's like, that was enough. That brings me comfort. That makes me not scared. That makes me go, you know, it's going to be different. It's not going to be better or worse. It's just going to be different. And there's going to be parts that I miss of this life here, but there's going to be other parts that I couldn't possibly have imagined that are better, you know? Um, 
Like, I think you're going to just be able to see all the people who love you and who are taking, you know, pieces of no time to waste and people who are taking your energy and your spirit and your smarts. Like, you're going to get to see that. Mm -hmm. All the all the trickle down effect. And I think that that's what's going to be amazing. And Yeah, that's what I think, at least. At least that's what I'm hoping because otherwise. I know, right? It's like otherwise, like, <laughs> make believe, and we're all getting like played. But whatever. I've already, I've already that's made, okay I've already made the decision. I like wrote a blog post about it. I was like, I was like, even if it's like make believe, like I'm in because I'm if it I'm brings in. comfort while we're here, like fine. Um, all right. And so what is no. what's the what's there to lose? Right. What's the worst there case? to lose in believing? No, nope. in believing in the goodness. I believe. Okay, so we're gonna collab here. Um, mm-hmm. on basically a list of, I think we start with what not to say. So like, we're talking about like someone's husband has tragically died suddenly young of a heart attack, right? Someone else, you know, just found out that the cancer has spread to her brain and her chest and she doesn't know how much time she has left to live because she has terminal cancer. Or someone has a miscarriage if they were public about it, you know, or they lose their a child to uh, a drug overdose, right? Or I mean, like these these things, right? Or like when you're and just they like, happen, and they happen, and then yeah, they, and you're mind us, blown, right? And they leave you going like, why don't I even like know what to say? And as you know, as well as I do, some people are so paralyzed by that, and I don't fault them for it, but. They're so paralyzed by that feeling that they just go, I don't know what to say. And people have described to me, like, I literally have sat down at my computer, like, at least six different times and started to write you an email and then deleted stuff and then, like, not ended up sending anything because I don't know what to say. So let's talk first about what not to say. Things you've heard where you're like, who gave them the direction to freaking say that? Because that is not what you should say. In, from my perspective, it is better to say something kind of uh than not say anything at all. Because for me, it's oh, absolutely, right? you should so, still say something, still yes. acknowledge. Yes, but but on the top, the top of my list, <laughs> do not say when someone tells you that they're either grieving or they've lost someone or there's a terminal illness situation. Do not say it's in God's plan. <gasps> Number one, don't say it. Don't say it. First of all, if you and God are not texting, you don't know that. (laughs) You do not know what is or is not in God's plan. So please do not try to disseminate. You are not one of the 12. You are not chosen. You don't know that. So please don't tell me what is or is not in God's plan. Number one. Number two thing to not say. That's great. She's getting fired up, everybody. I love it. (laughs) No, number two, do not say to someone who is young and grieving, oh, you still got time. You can find love again. You know what? I found love the first time Mm. and I don't need to necessarily find it again. And me and my age ain't got nothing to do with this. You telling me to move on while I, while my spouse or significant other or loved one is barely cold in the ground is not helping Keep that to yourself, take it, sit on it, spin around. Don't tell me that I still have time. You don't know how much time I got. Case in point, my husband died at 34. You don't know how much time I got. That's true. I can also vouch for that, that I can vouch for (laughs) you never know how much time 
you have. That's why you need to maximize your moments. Um, live for today. This PSA sponsored by No Time to Waste. Um, Amen. I would like to add a couple and then I'd like to go back yes. to you. Again, some of these may be cancer specific. Um, others may be uh, loss of loss of spouse or loved one specific. Um, I, when people say to me, oh, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Or I want to be like, so here's the funny thing. It's not, depending on how you define fine. No, like I have stage four, it's terminal. I'm not going to beat it. I can beat it by having a good mindset and like maximizing my moments regardless of how long I have. But don't tell me, oh, well, I'm sure it's going to be fine. I'm sure, I'm sure you're, uh, I'm sure you're going to be fine. Others, I'm sure you're going to beat it. And I'm like, Again, unfortunately, the cancer having jumped my neck and having now spread to my brain and and then the chat, like we're, we're in a whack-a-mole situation that hopefully, right, will leave me here for years and years and years. But I can't live my life like that because nothing is guaranteed. But I, I would like to add, the, it's going to be yeah. fine. Um, mm-hmm. It's that like toxic positivity. Nora talks about it a lot, too. Toxic positivity or toxic oh. confidence. Your confidence is not my cure to cancer. Okay. Wait, what does that mean? What is? What do you mean toxic confidence? Toxic confidence. You are so confident in your own positivity and in what you're doing and what you're saying, you're just going to be confident and blow through it. Like, I'm sure you're going to be fine. I'm sure you're going to beat it. He won't bring you to it if he doesn't bring you through it. It's like, <laughs> you don't know that. Like, don't be like your confidence is not a cure for my grief. Right. It just isn't. And your confidence is not a cure for my cancer. It just isn't. So unless your name, you know, unless you are a leading cancer scientist, in which case maybe I can take that to the bank. Right. Then please don't say it. Yeah. That's a good one for my grief. Yeah. Your confidence is not a cure for my grief. Right. No, it is not. Mm -mm. Second one cancer related is basically... Have you heard about insert doctor, insert uh, oil, insert uh, special diet, insert um, this like healer, shaman? When people are telling me like, have you heard of Rick Simpson oil? Have you heard of like, you know, uh, this, you know, everybody has an elixir or Mm -hmm. a person, not everybody, but there are some people. And I'm just like, when you get to this point, you're just like, I can't. I really can't can't. like you don't think my Harvard trained oncologist you don't think they would have heard of that or maybe suggested that if it was an evidence-based treatment it's like so now you want me to not only be in my current treatment but be researching Yosta or also they'll be like have you heard of this place that's in this area that they have a center and you go there and you basically get colonics for a month, but that has cured some people that have had stage four. Like I'm so done. I'm so done with those. So anytime, like, and the thing is like, I understand that people are making those recommendations with good intentions. They're trying they to are. go, I heard something or saw something on social media that worked for some random person. I don't know. Maybe it could work for you. And so it's coming from a good place. So I try not to like want to punch them in the face when they say it but oh yeah no I'm never never disrespectful about it but at the same time you have to understand how that information could be received correct all right do you have any other ones you can think of right now I think you know it's okay 
to not know what to say and to simply say that. Yep. So that, okay. So now we're getting into like, let's give people the positive, the swap out of the, like eat this, not that. So instead yeah. of that stuff, so what could you say? And you're saying, what could you say? say, and I think this is great. I've gotten these from people. I have no words. I have no words. I have That's no a good words. One. I think is a freaking great thing to say to anyone. I have no words. I'm so sorry. Know that I love you. Like, boom. Oh, Best answer. Like, why are we making cards? I have no words. I'm writing this down. I have no words. Um, I'm so very sorry. I'm so very sorry. Um, I love you. I love you. Or you are loved or something like that. You are loved or you can, the last part of that is, what do you need? Oh, that's a good From one. me. What yeah. do you need from me? Like, do we say thing what to do say, or do you need anything from me? Nope. nope. What do? What do because you? Because do you, if so, when you're talking to someone who is grieving, when you're talking to someone with a terminal illness, when you're talking to someone who's going through tragedy or trauma, as opposed to saying or asking, do you need anything? Because do you suggest the answer is either yes or no, mm-hmm. but you want, and then you need a follow-up question. Right. But by asking, what do you need from me? You're already presuming and saying, one, I'm ready to provide whatever you need. Yep. And two, whatever it is, I will meet you where you need me to be. I like this. So what do you need is important. And that can be anything from gift cards to Uber Eats. Yeah. That could be rides to a hotel yeah. or to a hospital. It could be anything from like, I just need my kid to be picked up because I can't take it right now. Yeah. Like there's so many ways to show up. And like, I was so blown away by the people who bought food, who took care of me, who washed my clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had friends who were washing clothes, people who paid for the repass for Jeremiah, even mm-hmm. though we had money, but they were just like, let me take care of it. Totally. Um, trips, uh, you know, gift cards for food, for flat. I mean, the flowers were a little over the top. Never. <laughs> the yeah. flowers, the flowers probably somebody's covered it. Someone has covered the flowers yep. for sure. But, um, the little things are really where it's at. Like I had a friend who bought me socks cause I was just like, I'm out of socks. Like I'm out of socks yeah. now. I don't know where I'm supposed to get these damn socks. Another friend bought me um, I needed to get my hair done. So she made the hair appointment and bought me the weave hair Aww. so that I could get my hair done. So <laughs> it's it like, yeah, like, it's not the money. It's taking the, it's taking the stuff off your plate. Right. Taking and the like, stuff off your plate. like, oh my gosh, somebody took care of that for me. For me. And at least when I've been in that period, yes, that that's a feeling of, I feel loved and nurtured and taken care of from afar. Mm-hmm. Even that's when I, right. when I had, um, when they found the, the the lemon, the brain tumor, the size of a lemon, and they had to do emergency surgery when they found it back in April, when I like got out of the hospital and stuff, a group of my like crew from, from Trinity together, like my squad all got together, all chipped in money. And they got me like a huge gift card to, um, to Uber eats and then to mm-hmm. the whole foods market. That's like, right down the street from me that we go to for all of our fresh stuff and Uber Eats when you just want, you don't feel like cooking and that like getting those things from them and having them all have like contributed and taken care of it. And like, I just had these two giant gift cards that showed up in my email from this Mm -hmm. huge squad. I was like, 
oh my God, like it's amazing. I felt so taken care of and so nurtured, like so helpful. So and helpful. even not just within the first two weeks of you finding out. That's a good one. You can also just schedule it for a month later. Yeah. Like send a card, send something lovely, and then schedule the food delivery for like a month out yeah. because they're gonna need that. Yeah. The other the last thing that I'll say that like people can really do, and my goddaughters, um, Michaela and Jolie, and then their parents they did this and they continue to do it as opposed to calling or texting to say like, Hey, is now a good time to talk. They would send me videos just as mm. if we were FaceTiming. Yeah. And so it was like, Hey, God, mommy, auntie, a, we love you. We miss you. We're cooking. This is what's happening. Daddy's at the game right now, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they would just give an update and they would tour me around the house and do different things. And they would send the video. Oh. And so as opposed to me feeling like I had to have conversations with people all the time, right. sending videos of you in and about your regular day, having a conversation, mm -hmm. you know, with Haddon or having a conversation with your loved ones, but that's not obligating them to get on the phone. That's a good Not one. obligating them. Because it was just like, it's too much. You don't want to put the person in a position where, and it's weird, you know, with grief and dealing with stuff, there are some times where you have a ton of time and it's like almost too much time to think. There's other times when you're like, oh my God, I'm super busy. And I don't have time to like respond to all these people's messages. Like I appreciate it, but like, whoa, I just, and then there's other times where who cares whether or not you have stuff to do. You're just like, I don't feel like talking about this right now, but then I feel guilty that I'm not getting back to people. Like what you, what anyone that loves someone or cares about someone wants to do is alleviate their pain and their suffering. Right. And people who are going through grief or, you know, are have are dealing with bad news or something like you don't want to put more on them than they already have to deal with. And you and most people would say, God, I would never want to do that. I'm just trying to do the right thing. So I think you're right. Keep pushing one way communication like a video message with no expectation of a response is an awesome way to like virtually or digitally like reach out and hug someone and connect to someone without asking for them to do anything in return that I think feels really good. The other thing you mentioned is the onslaught, the flood when people find out the news is can be like a tsunami, right? Which is amazing if you're people like you and I that have a lot of people that love us in our lives. Um, what happens though is the tsunami then sort of floods you in those initial days, weeks, maybe months, and then it pulls back and everybody goes back to their normal life. And you know this like I do, you're still then sitting there in your grief or your trauma or your tragedy going, it's been a, a month, but I'm still here. I'm still struggling. Yeah. I still feel lonely. I still, right. And what I would say is like, put, put a calendar reminder for like a month out and then six weeks out and then eight weeks out to just check in on that person. Because mm -hmm. in my experience, it's not the initial, there's plenty of people it's after, after things settle and it gets quiet again and it can get dark, right? That that's when those little reach reach outs, I think means so much. They absolutely do. And I think that those, it's the video calls, it's the cards. One of my dear friends, my league, she um, does automated cards online. And I don't even know the service that she uses, but she sends cards and types them in, but it writes it out 
for her and she sends cards. I will, you know, and it's just like, it's the most wonderful little note, but she can write the note in the app and then it sends a card to that person. Um, And that's just a wonderful little thing to do to catch up with somebody. But I love your idea ahead of the, um, of the calendar reminder to just check in with somebody because it just makes all the difference. Yeah, it really does. And again, I'm trying to like, literally like this is our chance this is our chance to like share with people like exactly what they should do or not do amy and lisa and i have come up with the ideal response or reach out which is i have no words i'm so very sorry i love you what do you need from me hard stop yeah pretty much it so i think we just came up with we just came up i mean should we trademark it i feel like it's pretty good you know when you think about you can never necessarily put yourself in that person's shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, But what you can do is pause and take a beat and say, what would I need if I were in this predicament? Yeah. And if you're not in the same city, so again, like I've had, I have an army of support. They just don't live where I live now. But like, I mean, I had people order like fresh baked cookies for me on DoorDash or Grubhub and have them delivered to my house. Right. Which felt like they were here because I was like, oh, my gosh, like, look at these cookies. that just got delivered. Like, this is so fun. It's not about the gifts. It's not about the money. It's more just like those little taps from people. I just think it goes back to um, the podcast title. There's no time to waste and there's no time to waste in showing those that you care about, um, that you love them and that you're here for them. Yeah. I'm so glad we got to do this. Head. This is awesome. Thank you for sharing your story, for having the courage to be vulnerable. Yeah, this was great. Hopefully it also gave people some tools to to understand what it feels like to be on the other side and 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 recognize that any reach out is better than no reach out, but maybe here's some tips that'll that'll make it a little bit a little bit softer uh, on the other side. So thank you for everything. Thank you. Okay. So if you really want to maximize your moments, you could pitch in and help us get the word out. Just rate and review the podcast on iTunes. That's it. Oh, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss future episodes and bonus content. For more motivation, head to notimetowasteproject.com or join the squad on Instagram at notimetowasteproject. Grazie mille.